Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 99 of the Cause WCW, the podcast, where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dinos, and I am joined, as ever, by my co-host, Liam Happen. Liam, what's that? There's a distinct smell of fresh new job around. Is that you? That may be me. I thought you were going to say there's a smell of fish, because that's all you've been complaining about all day, is smelling fish. I, I am recording this in my kitchen, and it does smell of fish, and that is not a euphemism. I mean, we did have fish for dinner, just in case you wondered. That is not a euphemism. Or is it? But yes, you're right, Dean. I have... Uh... I've kind of made this 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 perma lancing job a little bit more permanent and a little bit less lancing. I am the new uh, design news content manager. Uh, th- those who listen regular know that I've been, or well, you've been more importantly, you've been banging on about how I work for design. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, that is now full time. My other freelance offerings are are now in the dust and that also includes the the hooked on wrestling website i was writing a lot for but never fear i am very much going to show up at the hooked on event party still and ruin everyone's evening excellent well um yeah i'll be there i'm hosting the london summer sand party at the uh, sports bar and grill in old street and we got them going all around the country yep hooked on wrestling.co.uk forward slash tickets so um we we are doing a little bit of a, a, a kind of a special one today because um, as as anyone who is a, a fan of WCW will know, uh, terribly sad news uh, this past week and, and pretty much out of the blue as well that we lost easily one of the greatest and, and, and one of the, the unsung heroes of WCW, one of the greatest in-ring performers of any era beautiful Bobby Eaton, one half of the Midnight Express and elsewhere, part of the Dangerous Alliance. He passed away aged just 62 this past week. Terribly, terribly sad. And um, so we wanted to uh, to cover what is one of his most high profile moments in the company, headlining Clash of the Champions 15 um, in a two out of three falls match with Ric Flair. And as our special guest for this show, we have brought we've brought back a former guest because this is a man who I have known for many, many years and also is a man that I know loved Bobby Eaton's work just as much as Liam and I did. And a, a sad but welcome still, welcome back to Because WCW, to Discovery Wrestling commentator Darren Goss. Good evening, Gossie. How are you doing today? Gentlemen, I'm I'm doing fine. Yeah, it's um it's sad to be here under these circumstances, but I know what a pleasure it is for both of you to have me here. But yeah, you know, in all seriousness, Bobby was yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us old um I, I yeah, I'm gonna be good with my language, a lot of us old farts who started watching wrestling in the early nineties, that era of WCW featured Bobby a lot. 
mm. what we'd see on ITV, um, and then going into the Dangerous Alliance. So, I mean, obviously, I didn't get to know the Midnight Express and things until a bit later on. But for me, Bobby was on nearly every show, and it's yeah, a, a lot of people throw around, oh, you know, he was so good, he was this, that, and the other because someone dies, and you're like, eh, well, you know, but Bobby was amazing, really, really, really good. Just it's just it's tragic, but I mean. The one thing I hope that will come from this is the newer generation of wrestling fans or even wrestlers will go back and look at his work more. Yeah, definitely. Because he he was one of those guys that made every single thing he did mean something. Everything He did everything for a reason. There was no wasted motion. There's no spots for the sake of spots. Absolutely, yeah, and everything. Just watching that, the the main event of this show back now, which hopefully I've watched the right show. Otherwise, we're gonna have a good conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just watching this back and just just everything, just the punches he did. You know, his punches are so good, so good, and just everything. Everything is performed so well. It's believable. It's just it gripped me because there's a lot of stuff um, in this show that didn't. Uh, let's put it it's a, fair, it's a tale enough. of two halves this show let's put it that way um but no it's it's all about the main event i think really there's a couple of other good things in there i will say but yeah it was just bobby having that moment and you could see how much appreciation flair had for him um you know because they worked together a few times in 89 and on saturday night and they've done some other stuff but for, you know obviously flair wanted him in this position and yeah, there's some other things I'll talk about, but as we get there, but yes, it's nice to have a bit of a, a tribute to Bobby and definitely one of the greatest of all time, no question. Yeah, and one one thing, one of the many, many tributes I saw that really stood out to me, um, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this one, Liam, but um, Lance Storm wrote quite a long um, tribute to him. And one, one of the things that really stuck in my mind was he said that, in in a in a world in the eighties where you know it was all about the big rippling muscles and the and the promos, you had in Bobby and you had a guy who who couldn't really talk and 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 that's in in real life as well. You know, all accounts he was very very quiet. You know, so he had Jim Cornette as his manager with him. So he didn't really talk much. He had a a pretty ordinary for a wrestler body. Nothing spectacular about that. But the moment he got into the ring, the moment that bell rang, you couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was... I, I didn't see that what Lance wrote, but it was... I, I don't know, it's just... There's, there's something about him, and it's really... It is difficult to put into words exactly what it is, but it's just so natural. You know, it just flows. There's nothing forced. And every time you're going to get to see him, it's a treat. It really is, no matter what he was doing. Even up until, you know, those last years of WCW. I mean, we I don't know if you saw that. They were showing clips of, like, Kurt Hennig, a macho man, working with him on Saturday night or pro, whatever it was. And they're bumping around the ring for him just because they wanted to work with Bobby Eaton, like, the yeah. head, you know, at the top of the, uh, top of the NWO era. Yeah. And Bobby's just, I, I dare hate the term jobber, but, you know, he's really just enhancement talent at that point. Yeah, um, but but as you say, they still want to work with him. They still want to do to make him look good. And I mean, Liam, we've been watching the the Nitro watchalongs recently, and the Blue Bloods are very much of this era. And and even when you've got a guy from Alabama being portrayed as as a, a an aristocrat adopted Brit, he he managed to make it work. Yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, mate, go on. Oh, so I was just going to say, I think it very much worked the other way as well. You look at just how much this massive company with so much talent at their disposal at this juncture in time was willing to uh, to get very creative and, and change things around just to find room for a worker of Bobby Eaton's calibre on their roster. You know, there probably were people they could have drafted in to be more authentic. There there were people that may have been able to have done more hamming up for the role, but they they were absolutely insistent on getting Bobby in that role because they knew that when it came down to the, to the brass tacks of it, stepping between the ropes and getting it done in the ring, there was no one better. Yeah, because, you know, you look at the rest of the Blue Bloods and they could all wrestle. They were proper old school grafters, weren't they? Yeah, and you remember, like a few years later, they had like a full-blown uh, stable because you had like uh, Dave Taylor and Fit Finley and Regal all on the same side. Uh, and obviously, at this juncture, you've got Finley and Regal against each other. Yeah. But uh, f- for them, it just made absolute sense to adapt everything to get Eaton in because it would be worthwhile because of what Eaton could do between those ropes. Yeah, but I mean the the thing that he will be he will be most uh, remembered for, without a shadow of a doubt, would be the Midnight Express. Um, mainly, uh, I guess the the incarnation with with Stan Lane that was the most famous and the most successful one, and the and the feud that they had with not German the Rock and Roll Express is the obvious one, but I mean thinking of other there's there's a tremendous match um, at uh, Great American Bash in '90, which I think we've covered, haven't we, with um the, with the Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and yep. Steve Armstrong, which is just one one of the best tag matches of that era. And the the first clash, uh, the Fantastics, wasn't it? That's another yeah. brilliant match. And there's oh, I I cannot remember what it is now, but there's one against Zank and Pillman as well. And I think that might be the one where they put Corny in a cage in a shark cage. Um. Is that Capital uh, Combat, maybe? I think that rings a bell. Yeah, I remember having that that videotape when I was a yeah. kid. So they, they sort of just flow. But I, I just remember watching those and thinking, this is this is incredible because we weren't really used to it in WWF. I mean, you see, like, you know, the Bushwhackers and the Natural Disasters and the Legion of Doom and, you know, the Rockers a, a bit. But, you, you know, I think for me, I was too late for the, the Hard Foundation or the British Bulldogs to to see those really. So for me, it was more like, what the hell is this? You know, yeah. but then when you watch that other stuff and just see the, the fluidity, the, the tag team moves, the just, just great on for all of that. And it's a very special part of WCW. And we're, we're falling into the, in 91, unfortunately the awful decline, but there's still some good things there. It's sort of reminiscent of 89, 90, a few things are, but then the rest just stinks of 91. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. Okay, well, let's uh, let's crack on with uh, with the events of Clash 15. Obviously, you'll, normally we will ask uh, we'll ask our guest why we're doing this show, but as we've we've said exactly the reason why this is one of the one of the few main events that Bobby Eaton's in. I mean, he was in um, I, I, you know, he was in the the War Games in in '92, um, Wrestle War, um, but this is, to my knowledge, the only main event he's had as as a singles wrestler. He was in this period of time here between uh, the Midnight Express splitting up um, and the Dangerous Alliance 
forming at the very end of, of 1991. But we're in the middle of that year at, the, at this time. It's June the 12th, 91. Um, we're at the Civic Auditorium in Knoxville, Tennessee for Clash of the Champions 15 live broadcast on TBS. Um, we start off with Missy Hyatt introducing the show before she's interrupted by Paulie Dangerously, who in- then introduces us to our commentators for the evening, Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. And I suppose in keeping with the theme of tonight's show, and we'll see this come up a lot, the opening segment was rushed and really didn't serve any purpose at all. Um, our, our main event sees Ric Flair defending the, the WWE world title, as we've said, in two out of three falls match against Bobby Eaton. Um, it would turn out to be Flair's last televised title defense before he left for the WWF, taking the belt with him. Um, we've got 12 matches to cram into a two-hour broadcast, so... Uh, unlike usually we have with WCW, there's no time to lose, and we press on with the opening match. And the opening match is a six-man tag, pitting the fabulous Freebirds and Bad Street, and they're accompanied by Diamond Dallas Page and Big Daddy Dinks, or Oliver Humperdinck, against the Young Pistols, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, and their partner, Tom Zenk. Uh, the the Z-Man, described as a youngster by Jim Ross, is 32 years old by this point, and he's returning from a bicep injury. Uh, pre-heel manager Bill Alfonso is our referee. Uh, we get the traditional WCW babyface offense of uh, arm drags and drop kicks to start us off. All three heels are then dispatched from the ring with stereo cross-body blocks off the top rope from the Young Pistols. Uh, the babyfaces are in charge till Michael Hayes jumps in, nails Tracy Smothers with a quick left hand, and Bad Street clotheslines him over the top rope to the floor. The heels then won't let Smothers back into the ring. All six men later on are in the ring brawling. Steve Armstrong pairing off with his real-life brother, Brad Armstrong, who's under the mask of Bad Street. Uh, the baby faces are thrown out of the ring, but they then all hop back onto the apron, land stereo sunset flips on the heels for a... I guess I've called it a hokey-looking but fun triple pinfall in four minutes 49. What did you make of the opener, Gossi? I thought it was a really good choice to open a show. Um, I like that idea of something really fast, you know, that really good good action, lots of things going on. Um, i got to go back a bit, though. i got to go back because there, there were some things at the beginning here. Okay. Missy Hyatt came out in this red pleather suit and yes. from a distance if you squint it looked a bit like michael hayes what she was wearing <laughs> so i wasn't sure what was going on there as you said everyone now uh, more than missy hyatt the one thing we've got to notice at the beginning of this show is how much makeup paulie's wearing jr and tony Schiavone. um tony Schiavone has got his blonde highlights he's in his blonde highlights period yes which is insane to me. Uh, JR's looking very Peter K as well, I'm noticing today. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's just me rambling on about that. I did, I was reminded of Cody Rhodes when the three birds came to the ring with DDP, the Diamond Doll, Bad Street, and Big Daddy Dink. I was expecting the dog to come out as well. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a good match. It, was, it made me think as well that that Bad Street character that could have come back in the, but it made no sense, but it didn't matter because, because WCW, cheap plug, in the Cruiserweight era. And he could have tag teamed with Wildcat Willie. I would have loved that. With Wildcat That's Willie. what I took from it's this. getting match. in all the references, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm done Bad now. Street, I'm just getting out of here. I think Bad Street 
had was was more over with the crowd than than plain plain old Brad Armstrong was as much as, as great a worker as Brad Armstrong was he never quite connected to the crowds and Bad Street had that push from and that rub from the Freebirds. Yeah, I, there's there's another thing um, I just remembered now was they did a double flapjack to the guardrail that looked really really good. Mm. Um, and I, I say they in a, in a terrible way because I've just written they did a double flapjack to the guardrail. So I, I I'm assuming the heels did it. That's a heel move. So the Freebirds did indeed. a double yes. flapjack to the Young Pistols. Yeah. There you go. That'll do. We'll just you you know people can go and correct me. I'm sure I'm used to that. But yeah, Brad Armstrong just again he was so good. It's just a shame he there was nothing there. But I was going to ask you as well. Who? What was the name of the the guy that was with the Freebirds before? Oh, Little Richard Marley. There you go. I couldn't Who for the was, life of um, me. I couldn't remember. Was uh, was that Rocky King? Liam, is that the one? You're picking the wrong day to ask me. I have to look it up. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> yeah, but after the opener, what do you make of this one? Oh, well, I don't know about art of the opener, but it's definitely the uh, the 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 art of of getting by with an opener, isn't it? It's just they they they've done just enough of their of their consummate professional jobs here to get through what is essentially a very weird lineup and of an even weirder entourage. And yes. uh, the oh, the the three birds in 1991 that was an experience, wasn't it? Well, they, they, yeah, they didn't quite know what they were doing with them, did they? But at least that, that, you know, given five minutes in a tag match, it's they can do it blindfolded. So yeah, yeah. it's hard to say anything bad about it per se. But yeah, you look at things like the Free Birds and Young Pistols, and when Darren made that comment earlier about 1991 WCW, it's like, yep, in a nutshell. <laughs> Yep, it, it is. Yeah, and um, oh, my my God, I'm just reminded now of Oliver Humperdinck as a baby face manager <laughs> in the WWE. You mean Big Daddy Dink? Uh, well, sorry, yeah, his big, street big name. Use his street name. Big Daddy Cool out there, Dinkle. Um, but uh, I don't know that poor guy. I mean, I, I like I like old Hum, but yeah, I don't know what they were doing. And DDP is unbearable. He's on you later as well. He's about eight foot tall. He shouldn't be a manager. He keeps saying good God all the time. And he is unbearable until 96, I would say. Uh, I, the, the finish of this match as well, I got huge problems with. As you know, I'm a stickler for the rules. Indeed. You can't pin three people at the same time. What's going on? Just um, nice... Well, the, the, as long as the ref's counting the legal men, the others are uh, a garnish. Well, I, I, I think Big Daddy Ding should take this up with Grizzly Smith or something if he's not. Well, we're not going to get into Grizzly Smith now, but then we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Don't. yeah. Okay, match number two. <laughs> uh, we have... Uh, Dean's going to be using this swift segue a lot. We've got 12 matches to get through, for God's sake. <laughs> number two, it's Oz versus Johnny Rich. Um, and uh, WCW never did grasp the concept of the difference between a person and a place, did they? First we had Oz, then we had Loch Ness. But anyway, here comes Kevin Nash with sprayed silver hair um, in a long green cape, a strange old man mask and a weird hat. He's accompanied by a smaller man in a, uh, in a, a similar hat or similar mask, rather, called the, Gra- the Great Wizard. 
who is played by Kevin Sullivan. Who, let's face it, if you want someone who's significantly shorter than Kevin Nash, Kevin Sullivan's your man. And who's um, adept at dressing up. And he's adept at dressing up. As and they're both, they're both called Kevin. They're um, both called Kevin. And I, I nearly called him the Grand Wizard, who A, was someone totally different, and B, has KKK connotations, uh, who, have, of course, then would have been played, allegedly, by Dick Murdoch. Um, his opponent is the WCW Worldwide jobber, Johnny Rich. Um, it's a 90-second squash featuring a big boot, a clothesline, and a finisher of a whirlybird slam. Um, yeah, it's it's a worldwide style squash, and um, I don't know what the what you guys think, but I think it's fair to say that Nash isn't exactly bothered about taking care of his opponent here. I think that's a nice way to put it. God, I would have stayed down after that clothesline. Jesus, <laughs> that was terrifying. And well, you mean uh, the one where he lands on the back of his head? It looks like yeah, his, his head has been buried in the canvas. Yeah. And if anyone that had seen that, and I'm, I'm a fan of Kevin Nash, but at this point, you know, it, his finisher should have been a sleeper hold or something. Um, when they're giving you the idea of doing the spinny Sid powerbomb, I would be like, oh, no, you're all right, thanks. I've got to, you know, I quit or anything <laughs> rather than take that. That move terrifies me. I've never liked it. You've got no control over what you're doing. Yeah, or I've you never can't seen anyone land safely. No, there's, you just, you just got to hope. But I'm again, I'm going to go back before the match because after all, we've only got 12 matches to get through. So I'm going to talk about pointless segments. Uh, Robin Leach did a voiceover of WrestleMania <laughs> 4, yes. WrestleMania 4 fame, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, that strange British man yes. um, that nobody knows over here, but everyone knows in America. So there yeah. you go. You're not I, talking I about just... the Good Charlotte song then? No, no. Gotcha. I, All right, fair enough. There you go. Sorry, I'm. I'm it's, it's too modern for me. That sort of music. We talk about the trogs, um, <laughs> but I, I. So they got this competition now, and they're really hyping Great American Bash '91, which, in retrospect, is a terrible idea. So they should never mention that again. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the prizes is a Ric Flair Rolex, and I just imagine they've gone around all these women that have slept with him and stole his watches. And just got them back for this competition. Or this like this crappy Ric Flair shirt. And then, in order to win, you've got to answer this quote. And th did you see the quote they said? Complete this quote. Yes. I've never heard Ric Flair say that in my life. No, I didn't know what the answer was. And I thought <laughs> that's the point of the competition. No one's going to answer it correctly. No, and they're not getting those Rolexes because he's got none left. Um so there we go. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Because it, it wasn't to be the man, you've got to beat the man. It was something about you got to walk that aisle. Walk that aisle. Something about you got to go on a boat. And then they went on about. I I don't know what the hell they were. They were all over the place with it. It was it was just a mess. But as you said, no one's allowed to win. That's what the point of it was. The the match was what it was. I'm I'm sad that I can't remember when Oz's debut was. Uh, Super Bowl in um, the month before. It is Super Brawl, because do you remember yes. that, which is infinitely more interesting now? That's when the monkey nearly gets hung. No, no, the monkey does die, apparently. Really? I, yes, there's, they, they, oh had, um, they, they had, they um, had, I, I need to watch it back. I don't, Liam, we haven't covered Super Brawl 1, have we? We've done Super Brawl 2. We have not covered Super Brawl 1. I know I'm no. really jonesing to get that Sting yeah. and Luger so, um, Steiners match done. Yeah. 
So, so if you're if you are a fan of monkey abuse, or maybe you come from Hartlepool and you'd like to cover this show with us, then do give us a shout. But what I, I read that yeah, the monkey was on a leash and it tried to escape, and apparently Kevin Na- uh, Kevin Nash, Kevin Sullivan kind of yanked the the leash that it was on and broke its neck and killed it. But I don't know if that is true or not. We'd have to go back and watch it. I don't see how Kevin Sullivan could do that because the monkey was probably bigger than him. So, <laughs> just the logistics of the entire thing. No, I refuse to believe a monkey died. Yeah. Now, all like you think of is the Alan Partridge. All like you see is a monkey flying. Monkey spinning helplessly. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, will, um, I will maintain though that I I still choose to believe the story that uh, Triple H accidentally killed a horse the day before WrestleMania. Nah, see, I don't know that one now. This is but something. There, there was um, there was um, a, a le- again, legend has it, and we're we're going massively off tangent here. It's a good job there aren't twelve matches to get through, but fuck it. Um, the legend has it that um, that that one of Triple H's WrestleMania entrances was going to be him riding down the aisle on horseback, um, and they had a rehearsal the day before. And um, I think that the part of the ramp hadn't been constructed, hadn't been finished. They hadn't finished constructing part of the ramp and the horse's leg went through the ramp and broke its leg and had to be destroyed. Oh, my God. Well, is it Allegedly. remember animals and entrances? I'm surprised. Yeah. They nearly killed Cody's dog when the fireworks went off as well. That was yeah. fine. And do you know what? Out of all the wrestlers who've used animals in their entrances, the one that had the least animal abuse and the best taking care of animals surely is when Scott Steiner came down with a fucking tiger on Nitro for no reason at all. Oh, that was that was great. That was Jesus. Yeah, that was that was that was very WCW. Yeah, just just why not? Could have done with that here instead of watching this Oz match. But there you go. Yeah, it was just he t- he takes all that off and he looks okay. Apart from the green hair and the the tights and everything, he looks incredible. Kevin Nash does there, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's like you've got this guy. I know what we can do. This um, because there's Nash has told that story of when he's looking at all this. He's got this gimmick on him and he just looks at Sullivan and says. What am I doing? And Sullivan just says, just think of the money, kid. And then kills a monkey or something. Um, so anyway, but and the entrance reminded me of Castle Grayskull that he came out. So yeah. that that was nice. Um, uh, and at one point, I've got this in my, I've written, see, I've written, I've written about 10 pages of notes on this match. Tony Schiavone said, as Oz was walking to the ring, dressed up in all of his attire, I've got the exact quote. This is as impressive as you can get. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Tony Schiavone to exaggerate. Well, I I don't know what to say to that. I I just think that that's really yeah. up there. So, yeah, uh, but I think we've given far too much uh, coverage to this match. Quite well, frankly. we we've talked about this match longer than the match itself. I think it's fair fair to say. We did that um, a long time ago. Long time. Ago. Should, should we just move on to match number three, Liam? Yes, yes, yes please. Yeah. There's nothing okay. I can add. Well, we, we do go straight into the next match after a commercial break with two experienced veterans uh, as Dan Spivey takes on Big Josh. However, Big Josh is portrayed here as an inexperienced rookie um, of five months experience, although Matt Bourne, who portrays the character, is a 13-year veteran by this stage. Um, it starts off as a brawl before Spivey takes control with big boots, clotheslines and a suplex. Even when Josh makes a comeback, the crowd are relatively quiet. 
Um, Kevin Sullivan, who by this point has taken off his wizard garb, comes down the ramp with crazy looking hair, nails Josh with a wooden crutch, which he knows sells. But once he turns his back on his opponent, Spivey lands a German suplex for the pin in just two minutes and 49 seconds. So another quick match. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Dan? Well, I didn't know the hell it was because it came up, said Dangerous Dan. I think the hell is Dangerous Dan. And obviously they mean Danny Spivey. Yeah. So that, that's yeah, but he's dangerous. He is, he is dangerous. He's got dangerous Kevin Nash was in another match. Um, b- before that, I noticed, though, because I'm going back, there was an advert there, and it said, PN News coming to an arena near you, which explains why the house show business was on its ass. Don't say Yeah, it sounds like, like a threat, doesn't it? It does sound like a threat, and it was definitely a threat to me. And unfortunately, that's not the only time we'll see that free. Um, see, I'm a big fan of this because straight away you've got Doink versus Whaler Mercy. So I'm I'm happy yes. with that. The the real Doink and Whaler. Oh my God, Whaler Mercy! If his body hadn't broken down, that was so good, so good. Um, a, a Spivey at this point though, he looked like a cross between Barry Windham and Randy Hogan, which is which was impressive. Um, it, it was what it was. You know, I, I still don't get why Big Josh just comes out with an axe handle. It's it's he, weird. He's, he's supposed to be a lumberjack. I know, but he'd he have an axe, wouldn't he? Just come out and take someone's head off. Yeah, that would be poor, a good heel turn. It's no, the poor man's two assault. by four. It's, it, it is, That's isn't what it? it? Is. It's, 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 yeah. They've seen Hacksaw Jim Duggan with his two by four and they've got an axe handle. Oh, God. I mean, uh, uh, but that's most famous for that lament figure, that Galoob figure, which is worth an insane amount of money, isn't it? That That is Big Josh's legacy, is that stupid toy. I don't know this story. What's, what's the story? Yeah, it's, it was really rare, this Big Josh figure, apparently. And if you if you have that axe handle it came with, it, it goes for hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. Really? Yeah. So there's a few little WCW figures, apparently, that are worth... A fair whack, and I think that is the holy grail, is Big Josh with his axe handle. Oh. Um, which, again, means much more than Big Josh there. How does that person become heel doink? I don't get it. It's just, it's crazy to me. You'd never put the two of them together, because as you say, he's he's not billed as badly as Norman the Lunatic was, but they're pretty much saying, look, he doesn't know what he's doing. We just found him on the street somewhere, so we can have him wrestle. Yeah, it's a testament, though, isn't it, to Matt Bourne? It it, it is, really. And I I think it's a testament to how much he didn't give a shit about this. Just through that that face. He's like, oh, what what are you doing with me? But, yeah, this is a it was what it was match. Yeah, um, just just to um, back up what you were saying there, I've just found that there is um, an un... Now, it's unboxed, I hasten to add, unboxed... WCW Big Josh Galoob action figure, uh, and it's on sale on eBay for three hundred pounds. There you go. And if you got one in the box and all that sort of business, it got. Now has got that got the little stick with him. Um, he, I don't know if he's got, he's got something with him. Um, for some reason, that that little stick matters and makes a huge difference. The WCW two by four. Right. No, he's got a he's got a belt around his uh, around his arm, but. Um, doesn't no. look to have that, no. So, so would there you go. If you want to do a, a GoFundMe or something for the <laughs> you, you can you can purchase Big Josh. 
and uh, and rumor has it that once the value of the big Josh figure became inflated in in modern times, it suddenly began ringing up on shop registers as a Hulk Hogan figure. Hulk Hogan. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I remember that in in the UK with the WWF action figures around this sort of time, or maybe a year or so before, the the rarity was the Dusty Rhodes figure. Legend yeah. had it. There was like only six of them in the UK or something. So, so yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Liam, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, m- mostly just about Waylon Mercy, but I was beating to that punch. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Was that, was it the heart punch he did? Was that it? No, he put him in a sleeper and then did his big bug eyes. Although, interestingly, he was really getting those bug eyes out here. I suppose he was yeah. dangerous, Dan. So that he makes sense. He was bug eye at the beginning of the match. Mm. And didn't we, see, I've forgotten already. Didn't one man gang run in at the end? Mm, did he? I didn't see that. Or did Maybe Kevin, Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan, 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 Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan does, yeah, Sullivan does the shot with the crutch, yeah. Unfortunately, not dressed as a granny. Not, yeah, we're only interested if Kevin Sullivan is dressed as an old lady or a lifeguard. But do you know what? I actually I have made a note here because when I saw Kevin running down with his hair bad, I he reminded me immediately straight away. I got to this reference of an alcoholic fifty-year-old woman whose wealthy husband had left her for a twenty-year-old. That's exactly what I saw. Especially wielded the crutch, topless, the hair mad, the makeup. Exactly what it is. The beard. It's all there. Marvelous. Yeah. Like, That's where the storyline like is going. Like a um, like a a male version of uh, Laurel Van Ness, if you remember when Chelsea Green was in Impact and had that tremendous gimmick, which she, I seem to be the only person in the world that loved. She was a, she was a hairbreadth away from having to go back to that Monica, wasn't she? <laughs> she was indeed. Yes. <laughs> but for yes. the record, for the record, I have very much enjoyed that angle as well, especially when you think now that the uh, the the virtuous people in that storyline are actually punching well above their weight in AEW now that the butchers had a bit of I think he got hand injury and the bunny and the blade have been doing their shtick with uh, blade as a singles wrestler I think he's been pretty damn good yeah definitely matches against Christian Cage and Orange Cassidy you could very easily be a decent little singles mid-card heel yeah, obviously uh, available in the UK on ITV. Talking of which, we have the uh, WCW Top 10 Rankings, Yay! which reminds me of 3am on Saturday nights on ITV <laughs> when we had Worldwide, which we were talking about right at the beginning. Um, I do wonder why the hell Elegante is so high up the rankings. But then we have what I, I anticipate could be Gossie's favourite segment of the show. Uh, it's the Danger Zone with Jason Hervey from the Wonder Years, who was, uh, I believe, legitimately dating Missy Hyatt at this point, even though I, she was about 10 years older than him. Yeah, I, I really think, I mean, I remember thinking, oh, this is real because of WCW magazine, but then because they used to go on about it all the time, but I actually read Missy Hyatt's book, which is certainly something. Oh, and, right. Yeah, she was she was actually dating him. Um, 
and as well yeah. with everyone else. Whether she dated yeah. everyone else, which did everyone else. Uh, um, and, uh, he was also mates with Eric Bischoff. Um, he but... he was, yeah, and and ever forwards. I think that's his legacy. Yeah, now, no, they really. have they are there. They still do uh, TV or try to do TV stuff together. And, and at this stage, he also has a tremendous mullet. It must be said. Um, so the gist of this is, and and I'm sure you'll go into more detail in this in a moment, Gossie. But the gist of this is that Paulie keeps asking Hervey questions, then pulling the microphone away from him before he can answer. Uh, Paulie then insults him and Missy Hyatt. So Hervey walks out um, much in the style of Preston on um, uh, Nevermind the Buzzcocks, if you remember that. Um, <laughs> so Hervey walks out, but um, as he turns his back, Paulie smashes his phone, big brick mobile phones of the early 90s, over the back of Hervey's head. Missy Hyatt comes down in her Michael P.S. Hayes costume to rescue him. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that this entire angle lasted longer than the last two matches put together. Good. Um, <laughs> not a bad thing. So, uh, first of all, I've never seen The Wonder Years. I've heard of it. And oh, I, know I love The Wonder Years. So, I, know of, I only know of Jason Hervey through this and doing stuff with Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Um, so, Paulie's out there doing his best, Roddy Piper slash brother love, whatever you want to call it, impression. Uh, they've both of them have got tremendous mullets. That's the one thing I noticed. Yes. Fair play to them. When they go on about dating Missy Hyatt, because Jason Hervey is like, he looks up to Kevin Sullivan, he looks like he's 12. And Missy Hyatt just looks like a massive pedophile, quite frankly. So, or his mum. It's really bad. It's not, it's not a good thing at all. He's very greasy as well. But in fairness to him, he took the, he took the phone shot to the back of her head and yeah, all credit to him. Um, and he, he didn't take it in. Well, let, let's say this. He took getting a shot from behind better than someone like Sid, who would always kind of bend over funny and put a silly face in anticipation. <laughs> That's his selling. Um, yeah. So the, I, I, it, it, it is what it is. And I mean, you it, I like I like stuff like this in wrestling. I, I like this silly nonsense in between. Um, especially when you look at the matches you've got. You're like, Mike, imagine if it was just one match after another after another of what we've got in the first half. I'll be honest, when I put this show on, I thought, is this a three-hour show? Because, as you say, there's, what is it, 27 matches or something? <laughs> 12 matches, yeah. And then towards the end, it gets hilarious because they're like, we haven't got time for anything anymore. Go, just go in the ring and just lay on the back and get pinned. It's it really becomes quite funny. So yeah, that's 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 really all I've got on that one. So we we move on from our segment, Mister Gene. And um, I was I was going to say that yeah, this this was basically building up to um, building up to a match at the Great American Bash, which was meant to be Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson and Paul da- Paulie Daintree in a cage. Um, so that is what this segment was was leading up to. Um, Liam, do you want to? Is there anything you could possibly add to to this tremendous segment? I, I am rapidly becoming redundant here. By the time we celebrate a hundredth episode, I won't be here. There is, there is just, I mean, between the briskness of all this. Which I suppose, considering what we say about the Nitro watch-alongs and and how good pace of a show, I I, I find that quite good about this. That it, that it runs at a good pace. But between that and the fact that Gossie's on a tear and he's managed to name drop the entire uh, WCW alumni, including people who weren't employed in 1991. 
Oh, there's nothing I can add. I'm stealing your shtick. I don't know what to say. I don't make references, do I? Yeah, maybe. I no, I, I I don't know. Like I listen to this show, but you know, it's you you might do. That's a joke. Didn't come over well. Nobody responded. It's all gone very quiet. Um, story of my life. <laughs> uh, story of your life for the length of these matches, mate. Jesus. Um, so, uh, yeah. But the, the, there we go. That's this. Oh God, this is dire. A lot of this show is really bad. It's very nineteen. It's because nineteen ninety one. I'm still I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, I could hear him. So the problem is clearly you, Dean. It's you, Hello? Dean. You've you've stuck that incest thing somewhere. No, oh, here we go. I thought it would be me that would bugger this up first. <laughs> is he gone? Can you hear us, Dean? No, he's just old, isn't he? That's what it is. It's Pyrenees one. Ah, Hang on. you're back. Are you there? I am here. Uh, Sorry. I just, uh... I just want to let you all know that I am not removing this from it. This is just going to be wonderfully. <laughs> this is going to be wonderfully awkward. Happy 99 episodes. Put a flake in that. <laughs> I like that it said, uh, you know, all you people listening on my phone, because this is this is the level of technology you've got me talking on my iPhone. It said, can you still hear me up here? Like Dean had passed away. Uh, it was I, like a I voice just, from everything, beyond. It, everything just cut out. I couldn't hear anything. You you cut out mid-sentence. I, I thought something had gone wrong. Well, it had, but my end of things. Yeah, I heard glossy um, clear as day. You were the problem. Yeah, Fair dude. enough. Not the first time. Right, match number four is Dustin Rhodes against Terence Taylor, accompanied by Alexander York and Mr. Hughes. Uh, it's the computerized man of the 90s, complete with his WWE Network edited music rather than his original music, which I'm currently humming in my head now. You are too. Um, this is clearly a case of the experienced Taylor working with the younger Rhodes, who's in his third year as a pro by this point in time. Um, Rhodes is uh, in charge till he misses a shoulder charge into the corner and flies through the ropes. And that makes me think, does, have you ever seen anyone actually hit a running shoulder charge into the corner successfully? I can't think of it. Apart from when Kevin Nash tried maybe in Tory's quad, but then that's not really successful. <laughs> does a sting a splash count by that criteria? Is that something completely different? That, that's a different move. What about when Goldberg does it and goes head first into the ring post? That's something different. Oh, well, you're, different. you're, you're talking about the, uh, yeah. to the midsection. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Brock Lesnar, Rob Van Dam, loads of guys did it all the oh, time. Rob Van Dam does it with a back flip. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, there's also, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a little old lady in the front row facing the hard cam who gets up and shoves Mr. Hughes because he's standing in her way. Oh, she and was probably... so into this show, wasn't she? She oh, was. She, the whole show. To wake him up. What, what's amazing is that without looking at her, selling it or saying a word, Mr. Hughes just slowly moves to the side to get out of her way. Um, so, yeah, Rhodes is back in control. He even does the multiple right hands and big elbow like his dad used to. Um, Rhodes lands his bulldog finisher, but Mr. Hughes has the ref distracted. So Rhodes nails him with the right hand. 
Ricky Morton then enters the ring. Uh, Mr. Hughes punches Rhodes back, and the ref calls for a DQ win for Rhodes in four minutes 27. Not sure if it's because Morton's standing there doing nothing or because Hughes hit him. But then Morton attacks Dustin Rhodes, signaling that he's joined the York Foundation, and Big Josh runs down with his poor man's two by four uh, to make the save. Liam, I'm going to go to you first, just so you get a word in. What do you think of this one? <laughs> And has anyone has anyone else had more people turn on them than Dustin Rhodes? Oh man, he's he's read off a who's who, isn't he? It's made me paranoid that like we've got obviously the way AEW has gone lately is probably not going to happen. Uh, but I was absolutely adamant we we're going to have a thing where Cody Rhodes got betrayed by Brock Anderson. Just to, just to reenact that whole thing, because out of all, of all the people who have betrayed Dustin Rhodes, let's be honest here, that Arn Anderson one was the best, because he's going up against some bad dudes. He saw that Arn Anderson was available, and he said, "Arn, you're a bad dude. I need bad dudes go up against bad dude. Take the fight to him." And he goes, "All right, I'll do it, but I've got to warn you, you're going to get the old Arn Anderson." He's like, "Yeah, sure, that's exactly what I want." DDT, stupid. Bastard! I loved every um, second. You of got that. the old Arn Anderson. You got you got him. You got exactly what you wanted. Malicious compliance at its very very best. But yeah, I digress. I will say this about this match compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, it's short. Yeah, it's easy to forget even with the uh, afters. But there was definitely a lot more. You know, the energy was here, so a lot more was done in what little time they had. And that was good. And then you got like the old lady at ringside and all that. That just really adds to the, you know, we've been going through this whole aspect a lot on the watch alongs, Dean. Uh, how, how a fired up crowd can really enhance things. And <laughs> even if it's one member of the audience. But uh, yeah, I, I was feeling this. And I think I, I made a comment earlier about the brisk pace of the show overall being a good thing. Uh, I think that applies to the whole show technically, but yeah, this was where it really started to come into play where rather than just, well, at least that match was short and it stopped it from being terrible. This was, you know, there was adrenaline in this one. Yeah. And and Dustin Rhodes always got a good crowd reaction, didn't he? Oh, yeah. This was at a time where he, um, you know, a lot of people going, you know, Dusty's kid, being pushed and everything. And obviously, especially early on, there was definitely a bit of that. You, It's it's who you know sometimes and, and, and those foots in the door and all that. But even when you look back at his very early months, he was always pretty good. He was green, sure, but he, he was never bad. And he goes, with with the benefit of hindsight, we now know that it was entirely justified making sure he had the chance to grow because he was very good. He was very versatile. And it turns out he's massively evergreen. Yeah, definitely. Gossie, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, just, go, you know, touching on what you said there, it, it stunned me how good he was at this point. Because what was he, like 23 or something? Something like that, yeah. Very, something maybe like younger. Twenties, yeah. He's got to be around there. Um, and from what you said with the evergreen, you look at him now. He's controversial. He's probably the best wrestler AEW's got. If you were to put him in the ring for like ten, fifteen minutes, but 
It depends what you're looking for, I suppose. For a lot of the fan base, they wouldn't agree with me. But yeah. just, it was 22 at this point. There you go. 22. There you go. It was it was close. But you look at other people, you know, when people were like, oh, he's pushing him too much this and the other. Look at Eric Watts. That was the worst case of it all together. <laughs> yes. that was, oh, my God. And then later on, we got poor David Flair. Um, oh, God, let's not talk about David Flair. Anyway, yeah, so you got the York Foundation and... I, I love that music as well, but this was, it was just like, what's the weirdest music we can give them? Some dubbed over disco type music. It was really odd. Um, like, yeah, the, the graphics for all of these matches look so bad. They showed one of Flair earlier, and he looked like a librarian. It was really, really bad. <laughs> yes, in his suit, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, but the graphics for it, they're either looking the wrong way, or they look like they've just woken somebody up. They're really, really bad. Um, again, as you say, the ring post that um, that bump into it was it really it was really well done. And there's something oh here he is he's putting his old man hat on again. What I find with a lot of with a lot of wrestlers, and I'm not getting anyone to do what they want. I'm an old man. I accept that. When the you know what I'm saying when they plan everything out, they plan the entire match out, yeah. move by move by move by move. You don't have that element of going out to the ring and slowing things down. So there's never a chance to breathe. And I see this so many times. People, you don't give the audience a chance to breathe, to take something in. If something's supposed to mean something in the match, you've got to let the audience know that. If you're immediately constantly going to the next thing, which is sort of what this show is in a way. Nothing, nothing is memorable because it's just one thing after another after another. Um, and nothing really of any importance, which is uh, it's quite a good analogy for what I was saying there. But anyway, they did that. You surprised me by saying the match was only four minutes because I enjoyed it and I thought it was a bit longer than that. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was it was good. I, I, I liked it. Um, I, I, I thought when Ricky Morton came out, I thought this was the time that Robert Gibson hadn't come to a new contract. Obviously, that was proved wrong later on. Spoilers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's... It was good. It was good. I'm just... I, I don't know. I'm just not... I'm not grabbed into this card, really. There's so much... You, you've got... The problem I've got with this era, you've got so many good people, but then you've got, like, the York Foundation. They've thrown everything on them. They're, they're WWF light, and it's not working. This is this is the herd era, and then you throw Dusty on top of it as well, and it's not looking pretty. It's like no matter we can give you something really good, but we're gonna put all this stuff on top of it that's gonna make you think what the hell is going on. Uh, were Dustin and Terry Dayton at this point? That's the biggest question here. I don't know if they were. Uh, it's just not good enough, you know. Dean is supposed to know about people's love lives in 1991. It, um, it was it was either they had got together or didn't didn't she actually? briefly date Brian Pillman or something. So wasn't that wasn't that like a real thing they touched upon when they did that angle in WWE later? Yes. It was like yeah. a very so very been... briefly dating. So obviously it doesn't give them a good chance of being together at this moment if it didn't at last this a couple moment. She'd probably probably with Mr. Hughes as well, if he could stay awake. <laughs> and that old lady in the crowd, she's definitely dead by now. Oh, definitely. Just leave, leave it on that. Leave on that bombshell. I thought, yeah, I thought we were going to leave that in the subtext, but yeah, let's, no. let's just go for it. She's yeah, she's she's definitely no definitely gone. Yeah, right. Let's let's move. God, 
let's move on from there. Um, so we then have a recap of the events from Super Brawl between Sting and Nikita Koloff, where uh, Koloff ran down with a chain, tried to hit Lex Luger, but Sting pushed Luger out of the way and, uh, and Koloff hit Sting bef- uh, instead. Um, so yeah, it's time for a feature match between the two. Nikita Koloff, who is now billed from Lithuania, um, after the breakup of the Soviet Union, but he's still nicknamed the Russian Nightmare. Um, Sting sprints to the ring and the match is on immediately. But um, I, I, what I like about this, and I, I'm sure this was intentional, but it looks kind of natural, is that Sting runs to the ring, dives through the middle ropes, trips over the rope, entering the ring, and therefore gives Koloff the opportunity to start attacking him right from the beginning. I, I really like that. It just looked kind of different and natural. Um, Sting manages to fire back with a pile driver, but Koloff no-sells it, much like Road Warrior Hawk would do. Sting kicks out of a sloppy-looking tombstone pile driver at two. Koloff is dominating the match, but the crowd aren't reacting as much as you'd hope when Sting is selling, but they come alive whenever Sting is on a brief moment of offense. Um, Koloff's offense is pretty basic, but Sting's rubber-legged selling makes it look effective. Sting gets thrown to the floor, but he manages to reverse Koloff, running, uh, trying to run him into the guardrail to a good pop. Back in the ring, Koloff's back in control till Sting reverses a second tombstone attempt. Sting is finally getting a flurry of offense in. Koloff is selling it big. Koloff then avoids the uh, Stinger splash but he misses an attempt at the Russian sickle clothesline. Koloff then collides with the turnbuckle after missing that clothesline. Sting rolls him up for the pinfall win in 9 minutes, 33 seconds. And the old lady we were just talking about is very happy as she waves an American flag at the camera. So, yeah, 9 minutes, 33. This one was given a bit of time. Um, What do you think of this one, Gossie? This was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought this was going to be absolutely dire. I really, really did. Which is strange for me because I'm a big fan of Sting. But Nikita, he was, you know, Nikita was hot really in the in the early to mid '80s. Well, the mid '80s, yeah. sort of say. And then of course he took that long time off because his his wife was ill and unfortunately passed away. Um, but I think I think the Lithuania thing killed him as a heel. I don't think any, it didn't matter. I mean, they're American. If you're not from America, no, you know, I love American people, part of them. And, but if you're not from America, they're going to boo you if you, if you just prod them in that direction. So he's still going to be in Russia. He could have been the, I don't know, the Uruguay nightmare or something. Uh, and, and Nikita, of course, he, he's got this mix. He looks like Goldberg's dad and Road Warrior <laughs> Hawk at the same time. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I love the hot start because every match we've seen so far starts with a lockup and goes from there. So it's nice to have that change of pace where two people just come in. And, and you know, I've never got why they don't do that more. If someone's done something really dastardly to me. I'm going to want to come in there and just start beating the shit out of them. I'm not going to want to lock up with them or, you know, do chain. Uh, Nikita looked even more like Hawk when he just no-sold the pile driver as well. Uh, Oh, speaking of Nikita, do you remember when his penis popped out? This is why why you have me on the show for things like this. (laughs) And what show was that? He was working flair. It was definitely working flair. And there's a clip of it out there. Don't worry. Uh, Tommy Young comes over and puts and puts tucks, it back in. Yes, is, I've heard. I've heard about this. Yes, going above and beyond the call of duty, <laughs> really is. My God. Um, 
So yeah, there's there's that going. It didn't happen in this match, not that I saw. Um, again, you got that old lady in the front row. She's killing the crowd. She's in a good way, you know. She's keeping that crowd going. She's got an American flag. I think at one point she actually stands on the rail, you know, on the lower part of yeah. it, just to get up and get closer to it. She she's really into it. They should have focused on her more. Yeah, she, um, she this, had absolutely zero time for any damn commies, did she? No, she wasn't having it from those commies. You know, she was over the moon when they dropped the bomb, you know, uh, back in 45. So <laughs> she she loves all that. She's not, she's not putting up with any shit. So she got an American flag. I tell you what, there's one thing I really liked, and I'm going to be partly serious for a moment, which is weird. Uh, there was a Nikita kicked Sting at one point. And referee Bill Alfonso came over and checked the knee pad and the boot to make sure there wasn't a foreign object in there because the kick seemed so ruthless. And I we don't like foreigners nice... here. Sorry, international object. I yeah, apologize. We don't, we don't want any foreigners. We don't want any foreign objects. You see that We've... flag, the old ladies waving. We just want good old USA. Exactly. The uh, the international nightmare, Nikita Koloff. <laughs> But um, no, yeah, that's a that's a really good spot, definitely. Yeah, just uh, it, it's the little things that add that authenticity, isn't it? Title of my sex tape. <laughs> um, right, we will. Uh, where, where are we after? Oh yes, um, I tell tell you something as well that I noticed. I don't know what you make of this, Liam. One of one of the the earliest American wrestling tapes I ever got was a VHS hosted by uh, Bill Apter. And um, it was, uh, I believe it was called, it was like, what's it called? Ringmasters or something like that. And it was basically, it was, it was the Great American Bash 1985 from uh, outdoors um, in, a, in a stadium somewhere. And the main event is a babyface Ric Flair versus the, the as you were saying, Gossie, the hot heel Russian Nikita Koloff. And watching how the crowd reacts to a babyface flair selling against Koloff at that event compared to how they're reacting to a babyface sting against a more experienced Koloff is really interesting because even though Koloff's more experienced, the match isn't anywhere near as good or as intense as the flair match, which kind of just emphasizes to you, to me how good flair was. Yes. And that match as well. Do you remember when he um, gave the Russian sickle to David Crockett? Mm, the referee, yeah. Uh, no, no, the, the commentator, David Crockett, David Crockett. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah, on, on the not. Yeah, it was a clip before the show, wasn't it? it was yeah, he just sort of yeah. killed him with it as well. So, but they had they had that big heat. Again, I suppose you you've lost you, you have lost that level of heat. And, and plus, it's the difference between Jim Crockett Promotions and 1991 WCW as well. That that there's that going on. So, but yeah, Flair just obviously he's on a different level to so many guys, and so is Jim Crockett Promotion to 1991 WCW. But there we go. Yeah. Um, okay. We next have uh, Tony Schiavone in the ring with the Rap Master PN News, who is oh. accompanied by Pepper and Spinderella from Salt and Pepper. Um, and it, it's fair to say that his his rapping skills are, are horrendous. Um, you know, if you're going to get someone to do this gimmick, at least get someone who can actually rap. But before he can talk with Shivani, another WCW newcomer, Johnny B. Bad, comes down to the ring with Teddy Long. They kind of argue with each other over the mic, and then Bad and Long leave. Um, 
I don't know how long much it cost them to get Pepper and Spinderella for this one. Um, Liam, this is big. This is just because WCW in a nutshell, isn't it? Oh, massively. Uh, and it's worth saying, oh, yeah, they should have got a decent rapper. And you got to remember, WCW, in their eyes, in 1991, PNUs was exactly what rap was. That, that, they are they are massively out of touch. They have no idea of the origins of hip hop and and the, and the wars of the East Coast or the West Coast. And to us, I don't know too much either. I'm just like being very vague. But obviously, we do know there's there's much more to it, and there are people you can refer to if you want to represent that. But what they wanted was someone who says yo baby yo baby yo. Yeah. And it's the same logic that got us men on a mission a few years later. This, this, was better. Yes, he, he was. But this is, I mean, at this moment in WCW history, we're, we're getting, it's like they've, they've just brought in a ton of new characters. And I remember this was like when I started getting WCW magazine as a kid, because you've got Johnny B. Bad, you've got PN News, you've got Stunning Steve Austin, you've got Black Blood, who we get a, a, a promo clip for later on, you know, and probably others I've forgotten. And they've they're just throwing a load of shit at the wall at this point in time, aren't they? Oh, 100%. It's it's not pretty. It's not good. It's a really everything's bad. It's it's terrible. And I don't know what they're doing because you look at '89, how good that was. Mm. In parts of '90, it's like they've lost their mind. Think it, then there's this spiraling. They really, really are. It is absolutely mental that this same company would be doing what it would do years later. This is AWA. That, that, that's where they are. They're basically, they're not as bad as AWA was at this point, but they seem to be rapidly heading in that direction. I, I can't believe this company was still around a year later from watching this show. And it would only get worse. Great American Bash was much worse than this. Oh, God, we haven't that yet. Funnily enough, that's a show that no one said they want to cover yet. Um, so, uh, match num- yeah, funny. Right? Yeah, match number six is a loser leaves WCW match. Arn Anson and Barry Windham against Brian Pillman and Ellie Gante. So, Gary Michael Capetta explains at the start of this one that the loser of the fall must leave WCW. So at least they're telling us what the stipulation is, which doesn't always happen in this promotion. Um, We start off with Pillman and Anderson. They're straight into it. This one's going off at a very fast pace. Uh, Wyndham tags in. They trade chops and punches. Wyndham gets a two count with his one-arm DDT. Uh, the commentators talk about how the Hills would prefer to deal with Pillman and not Elegante due to the size difference, but they don't mention how Pillman is vastly more experienced than his rookie partner. Um, in one high spot, Pillman climbs up onto Elegante's shoulders and hits a spectacular cross-body block onto Wyndham, but Anson makes the save. Pillman then goes up top again, but he's pushed off by Wyndham. Wyndham apparently kicks Pillman in the face, but the camera is focused on Elegante and Anderson on the floor, so we don't even see Wyndham make a cover, and he gets the pinfall on Brian Pillman in just three minutes and eight seconds. Um, of course, Pillman didn't leave WCW, but returned under a mask as the yellow dog, where it was made obvious that it was him, and the angle didn't get over in the slightest. Liam, I'm going to go to you first. How do you do a loser leaves town match in three minutes? Well, they just showed you how stupid. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that whole rehash of yellow dog that was purely done for 
an audience of like five or six people backstage, wasn't it? Because there's the roads, in-house, yeah. there's all the in-house references, and oh yeah, and that's exactly why it didn't get over. There's just no, no, no one in the crowd is invited to this to this reference to this joke. It's almost like an episode of this podcast. But we're comfort we're comfortable with drawing these numbers, whereas WCW, as a multinational company, are probably a little bit alarmed when they're spending millions of dollars and this is the yield. Uh, so that's yeah, how you I mean, find our, our that podcast situation. is free to download. You know, this is yeah. this is a company trying to promote a pay per view in a month's time. We do this to entertain ourselves. We we are completely happy if one man and his dog is our audience, and it just so happens that the man was Gossy. So now for this episode, the audience is just a dog. And if the dog sees a car driving past, he's going to fuck off as well. <laughs> you We're okay have, with uh, that. Is this an advert for the show? Can you yeah. this bit to the desk yep. so we should advertise it? Yeah, well, yep. this is exactly how we sell the show. This is this is the premise <laughs> of it. Come and be in, in rarefied air and be one of the few people who actually listens to us. Makes you special. It did, yep. certainly oh, does. Exclusive club. As long as no cars go past. As long as no cars yeah, go I'll past. probably chase the car, to be fair. I'm blaming the dog, but I'd, I'd follow the car. Yeah. I'd rather have followed the car than have watched a lot of this show. This, though, was the greatest match Ali Gante's ever had. Without question. Yeah, can you just pick that bar up off the floor? It's a bit low. <laughs> uh, it was because he can get in the, he got in the ring once illegally to do the the jumpy thing, and then he just put the claw on on, yeah. and that was it. And we, you know, God, there's so many great elegante moments, but I'd have to put this. This one would be there. It was, you know, for only three minutes though. The stuff between Pillman and Arn and Barry was so good. It really, really was. Just if you watch that. It's so good, the stuff they've got. And you know, as long as he stays in the ring, we're fine. And then out of nowhere, the match is over. And they miss the finish, you know, because WCW. Because WCW. Yeah. And I don't even took a drop kick off. the. He's on the top rope and he got drop kicked and went all the way to the floor. I mean, I'm not bothering with this three-minute match. They'd be lucky if they got a bump out of me. I'm like, I mean, taking bumps off the top floor, off the top rope to the floor. Sod that. Uh, trying to give us our money's worth. Uh, we then go to the Great American Bash Control Centre, where Paulie Danger is now being a straight broadcaster, and we have <laughs> a uh, video package of highlights of last year's pay per view, followed by a plug for this year's one. Um, I, you know, this is free television. I can understand why they put on a, a, a plug for a pay per view. Um, we then have footage of the Steiners winning the IWGP World Tag Team Titles at the Tokyo Dome. Um, at the WCW New Japan Super Show earlier this in, in the year, which was called Starcade 91 in Japan and the Super Show in America. And that leads us into our next match. Match number seven is for the IWGP World Tag Team Championships as Hiroshi Hase and Shinya Hashimoto challenge the Steiner brothers. Now, Liam, we all know what happens usually when New Japan stars come to wrestle on WCW TV, don't we? Yeah, it's generally much better on paper than it is in reality, shall we say. Yeah. But before I go more into detail, I just want to point out, when you said earlier about the uh, 
the Great American Bash 91 Control Center. That was funny. Like they had uh, any control over that shit show. <laughs> Fucking Control Center, my ass. Anyway, now I've got that out of my system. Thank yes. Uh, in particular, the Steiners are one of the biggest culprits where it's, it always felt like... And I know we've disagreed on some of the uh, Steiner versus Japan matches we've seen, but the general consensus does seem to be that if they are wrestling Japanese opponents, the only real go-to they have is to just do a bunch of stuff against whichever opponent is willing to take it. Ah, uh, like poor Takeyuki Izuka, you mean? C- compared to his tag partner, who's uh, my mind's blanking today, but... Yeah. Uh, Fujinami, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we got someone more high-profile, more experienced, and he's like, nope! He's not nope, taking that stuff. Fuck that shit. Yeah, that is a very that. good time to bust out the Randy Savage creative nope. control note because yep. that, that is pretty much what he did. He was like, I'm not taking his stuff. Whereas his tag team partner's like, well, I need to make a name for myself. Yeah, do what you want. You know, rip my head off and play basketball. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, I'm, I've also realised that I've uh, got the name. I've, for some reason, I've written Shinya Hashimoto and it was Masahiro Chono. It was Hashimoto. Racist. It, I don't know why I've put a completely different New Japan wrestler at that point. But um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's the same reason. Chono. It's the same reason that Darren earlier, the one time El Gigante got in the ring, he had to say that he got in illegally. It's the same reason you are both bigoted. <laughs> It's the only possible explanation. He, he got in internationally. That's how he got it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yes, the Steiners won the belts from Chono and Kensuke Sasaki. So it's now Hase replacing him in the team to try and recapture the Who's in this match now? We've got Hashimoto. we got Hase. We've got right. Mr. Saito, Mr. Fuji. I don't know what the hell's going on. What did right, I watch? The Steiners won the belts at the right. Tokyo Dome. From Masahiro Chono and did Kensuke get, Sasaki. Did he get five stars from Dave Meltzer? Because he was in the dome. Yes. <laughs> um, but now Sasaki is out and Hase is in. So it's Chono and Hase in. So what happened to Hashimoto? Where does he come into this? He he was never there in the first place. He I was doing Yeah. Saito was was putting boulders through McDonald's. He was busy. Um, <laughs> the first offensive move sees an enzigiri from Hase sending Scott tumbling to the floor, but Scott hits back with a stun gun for a two count. Uh, Hase has got an idea of playing to the crowd and adapting himself to an American audience quite well. Um, we then switch to Rick and Masahiro Chono. Um, Rick barely sells several Yakuza kicks from Chono and lands a big Steiner line for a big pop. The Steiners hit a double-team top rope elbow drop from Rick while Chono is draped over uh, Scott's shoulders, but it only gets a two count. Uh, Chono lands a top rope shoulder block on Rick while he's being held in the air by Hase. Hase continues to heal it up while Chono clamps on the SDF on Rick in the middle of the ring while all attention is on Scott and Hase fighting at ringside. And I'm sure you'll pick up on this when we come to you, Darren, but to me, yeah, if this was in Japan, it'd be a major focal point of the match. But in in America, no one knows about the SDF yet and no, no one gives any attention. Especially Tony Schiavone as well. Especially comes Tony Schiavone. Um, Scott absolutely nails Hase with a huge clothesline, a tilt-a-well uh, slam, and a tiger driver. 
That is followed by a belly-to-belly superplex, but Chono makes the save. Harsey lands a dragon suplex, but now Rick makes the save. Scott then hits the Frankenstein on Harsey while Rick trips Chono and stops him making the save. The Steiners therefore retain the titles in 8 minutes 14 seconds. They get jumped by the hardliners, Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater afterwards, and we go straight to a commercial break while the attack's still going on. And I think I'm right in saying that, because they were saying this in the commentary afterwards, the story was meant to be that Rick Steiner had injured his arm, and in reality, Scott Steiner has a legitimate um, bicep tear from that attack and was out on the shelf for several months afterwards. And came back as a balloon. Came back as an angry balloon, yes. Mm. Um, so, Darren, now we have finally and firmly established who the actual participants were. What did you make of our IWGP tag title match? This match shouldn't have been on this show. This was this was so out of place. It was a it was a good match, and it was, <laughs> as you say, yeah. This should be on like a, a Japanese show, or this should be on Wrestle War '92 or something. This should not be in this point of 91 the, the bushwhackers should have been out there or something it was it was good it was you know for what it was as a culture shock from everything we've just seen pn news and everything um of course you, you know you've you've missed the biggest part of this match and that's when tiger chun lee kicked rick steiner in the head and his his gimmick broke can I just add i'm throwing oh, oh. japanese names in not to be racist it's just that you got it wrong it's not I that i can't <laughs> differentiate I'm going to suddenly stop doing that in this modern day culture. Good look, God. look, look, I know I've been ribbing you guys about being racist, whatever, but now that um, Dick Murdoch has showed up on the, on the show, there you go. It, yeah. it, oh, it, yes. it would be inappropriate to accuse you to being racist. So <laughs> exactly. I will refrain. It's uh, the pair of dicks came running out at the end. Um, no, that was, that, that was TNA. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the when the Dicks in WWE and they had the Johnsons and the, TNA. Yes, the Dicks were WWE, um, two quite short guys that were brothers, yeah. and yeah, the Johnsons were the ones who dressed up in in like Oh, yes. I I am sorry, guys. I bow to your superior uh, knowledge I of innuendo so, yeah. lace tag teams. I'm Thank so you. sorry. Please accept you my apologies. Know, anything about penis-based tag teams, I'm your man. Um, <laughs> that's got to go in the Twitter bio. <laughs> exactly. That's that's all I've got. And, and then on top of that, Nikita Koloff's penis coming out. There's a, there's a lot of penis talk tonight, hopefully. I think we'll, we'll knock it on the head there. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're calling it as we see it. You know, if, if everyone's going to a load of dicks are going to run out, and people's cocks are going to fall out of their trunks. You know, we've got to we've got to talk about what happens. We, we don't we don't control this, do we? We we, we don't control it. Um, we're not like, we're not the Great American Bash 1991 control center. We have no control. That was so bad. Why is Paulie just an oh god? It was what the hell? There's there's no continuity in WCW. But there, there is nothing. But anyone else could have done that. Um, the STF situation. Shivani calls it a step over toe deathlock, to which Jr. then immediately says, "Oh yeah, the STF." And it's just no, it's the STD now. It's a sexually transmitted disease, which is. Oh God! I thought I don't we know. were that, done that with the dick references. The STD. Come on, that, that man. Is, that's my new favorite move: is the STD. But now. I'm right in saying that Luthez's final match was against Masachono, wasn't it? Yes. 
when he was, was 74 student. years old, yes. And he broke his, did he break his hip or something? And they had to just go to the finish. I don't know. You, you well, have to look that up now. I, I think that something happened. He, he injured his hip or something happened. And they had to go straight to the finish. I think it was, I don't know. Now, Dory Funk, we're all over the place now. Dory Funk Jr. is still wrestling. I saw him have a match. It yeah. was like The Walking Dead. It's terrifying. Um, cause he, what is he, like 81 now or something? Yeah, he's um, pretty old, yeah. Yeah, he's making um, May Young look like Roman Reigns or something. It's, yeah. So, but but anyways, speaking of which, you, so you had the... God, I'm still just trying to think of how racist Dick Murdoch was and in that company at this time, and it is mental anyone was employing him, but didn't he have a contract with, was it Cause or something like that, where he was like a spokesman for them? I, I don't know. Didn't know Somebody that. like that had something like that, and he was able to get like unlimited booze, and this is why the boys loved having him around. Ah. It could explain why he's here at this point, but no, it's, it's a shame. It's, um, and they both, because it was Dirty Dick Murdoch and Dirty Dick Slater, wasn't it? Yeah. So they're both dirty dicks, yeah. I, I think I'm going to stop talking about this match. Uh, Liam, anything to add to this one? What do you think? Save us, come on. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> I, re- I really, really like the tag match. I can add that much. If get us back on topic a little bit. It was a good match. It was definitely a good match. Rick Steiner's head gear got damaged, but it was a good match. Here's a, here's a funny side note for you. This, on this very day that we're recording, I actually got a message from Rick Steiner on LinkedIn congratulating me for my new job. Did you really? Wow. True story. I, I didn't know that you and Rick Steiner were uh, such good friends. We're not. But that's it. You, you, I, I don't know if you guys are on LinkedIn, but it's generally the nature of it is that you tend to add lots of people that you don't really add to your Facebook or things where you add your friends and that you add like potential contacts who work in similar or adjacent businesses to potentially like have people to reach out to and things like that. And it normally results in a lot of cold calls from people saying, can you get me a job at, you know, insert my company there with Eurosport, Yahoo or whatever. Uh, And this instance, I'm getting like some pretty famous boxers, wrestlers, a few other people on my list uh, saying, congratulations on your job. I'm like, cheers. I have to change my job more often just to, just to get you guys to reach out to me. Yeah. I have to invite him on the show. Definitely. Yeah, get Rick Steiner on. Welcome to the dog pound. Uh, Right, let's move on. Match number eight is the Diamond Stud with his back, Diamond Dallas Page, against Tommy Rich. Um, So the uh, former world champion Tommy Rich doesn't even get an entrance and is presented as a prelim jobber here. And this is another squash match lasting one minute, 59 seconds. Um, the crowd are pretty much silent for this one. Rich gets about 20 seconds of offense and misses a cross body block off the middle rope, which allows the stud to land the diamond death drop, which would become better known as the razor's edge in the WWF for the pin. Um, not an awful lot to say about this, but what I can't help but notice um, is is the difference in presentation of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash here compared to how they'd be presented by the WWF like 12 to 18 months later. Chalk and cheese, isn't it? 
It, 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 it is. Um, Diamond Stud is not a million miles away from Razor Ramon either. No, no. You know, even the, I forgot he even had the little toothpick thing going for him there. I mean, his attire is atrocious. Not so much when he walks to the ring and the woman pulls his trousers off. It's like, okay. That 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 doesn't sound good if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's the the is in ring is his entrance gear she pulls off. He doesn't yes. stand there with his penis out again. And that see, it just it keeps going back to it all the time. Um, but no, he's wearing like what was it like black and fluorescent green clothes, you know, trunks, and then he's it's got black, a... black trunks with a fluorescent green diamond over the crotch. Yeah, and then the word stud, right. Like really badly sewed onto the back. And the and the, the fluorescent green elbow pad, I think, as well. Ah oh, yes. Um just just looked abysmal. I mean he he looked great. He looked huge. And the match was what it needed to be. You know, we didn't we, we didn't need this to go any longer than it did. I'm 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 fine with it. DDP's still very annoying and he's too tall to be a manager. But then there we go. Liam well, Darren, you'd be pleased to know that he didn't stay a manager for too long. He didn't, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's funny to see what uh, Scott Hall became, wasn't it? Uh, it? It was always a little bit weird in the Diamond Stud days because they clearly had high hopes for him. You know, he had the look, obviously. He got a decent push. They made sure he was on TV, but they just, they just didn't know what to exactly do with him. And he probably... Ooh. The, the timing of his jump was probably perfect because you you never stop and think to yourself, oh, yeah, can't wait for that big program coming up between Sting and the, and the studs, you know. He just said, well, he's just probably going to just float around for the foreseeable. They, they yeah. didn't seem to know what to do with anyone at this point. Fair point. You know, well all, all of them are just, just, <laughs> yeah. just bobbing and then, in the water. Yeah, and then you, you think about, you know, and, and we've, we've obviously been watching the Nitros from this from from this era where they come back to WCW as just as the outsiders as Scott Hall and, and and Kevin Nash and and all of a sudden they're major stars because the WWE took them gave them new gimmicks and made them stars. Yeah. Well, we built In up very a bit more time. Yeah, he'd, he'd obviously built up a bit of reputation by that point as well, which helps. Yeah. But um, I will say that I did really enjoy his WCW theme. Diamond Stud? Yeah, it was just a good generic guitar. Yeah. Really reminded me of the early 90s. It, it was. It, it had WCW written all over it, definitely. It's no, it's no Jim Johnson masterpiece. Some of them were good. I mean, some of those early ones, they're memorable. Some of them, not so much. Some of them have been dubbed over. I don't even know if they've been dubbed over or not. They're so generic. Um, but my anyway, my my favorite thing on the show is coming next. Okay. The, <laughs> we, then, uh, we then go to Jim Ross. Um, and he is with a young lad called Ben, who apparently is from Knoxville who won a Sting lookalike contest. Um, ben doesn't look anything like Sting, apart from the fact that he's got face paint on. Um, that's about it, really. Um, 
in a uh, Sting comes out to meet him, having redone his face paint after the Koloff match. And in, in a rem- remarkable coincidence, they have very similar face paint on, almost as if this was all planned in advance. Um, but Sting is then attacked by Nikita Koloff, and Koloff looks like he's going to attack Ben for being a uh, being a Sting fan. Ben. Uh, Ben's mother then hops the rail to protect her son, and Doug Dillinger steps in. Um, young uh, uh, Koloff is then ushered away. Young Ben goes over to check on his hero Sting. Um, in reality, it was a busy night for the Sullivan family because Ben was actually Kevin Sullivan's son, um, and the Sting lookalike contest was, of course, as real as that Intercontinental Title Tournament in Rio de Janeiro. But um, it was a it was a fun little angle, wasn't it, Gossy? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you though. I mean, Ben didn't look anything like Sting. Sting's got a, you know, Sting's got a good physique. He's much taller. He's got blonde hair. This is just a kid with face paint on. You're not fooling me. It's not a lookalike. There's nothing like him. So uh, there's one terrifying moment where Sting does pick up poor Ben and just says how excited he is, and kids make him really excited or something like that. Um, <laughs> That could have gone. T- I didn't know where this angle was going at this point. Um, I was hoping Ben was going to turn on Sting. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, no, that, was, that would be um, that would be if Ben had won a Dustin Rhodes lookalike contest, <laughs> or, yeah, or if he'd have waited another eight years, bro. Well, no, I don't know. I, I was I was going more towards Sandman and Raven, to be honest. Oh. Um, have a, have something there. I don't know. Sting's maybe Ben's dad. That, now we're going back through Russo again. <laughs> <laughs> we just we're all over the place with it. But I, the one thing I was hoping was that Sting was going to duck from that lariat and they were going to hit Ben with it instead. And um, Ben would have bladed. But you couldn't see because of the shitty paint job. So the whole thing was ruined. Um, so from this show so far, I've got a feud coming out with. Um, I haven't got a feud. I can see a feud coming out with the PN News and Johnny B. Bad, which uh, thrilling. And now Nikita Koloff and Ben's mother. So well, that's the feud. Is that's where the that's money is? That's the feud because she said Sting was useless. Sting got battered immediately, but he was like he wasn't sure what to do with Ben's mother. So I'm I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next there. See, Liam. Yes, Sting. <laughs> any, uh, <laughs> any any thoughts on this one? Anything you would like to add? Uh... I'll say one thing. Uh, it would have been so much better if they were going to have someone come to the kids' rescue. They should have recruited that old lady. They should have called an audible and asked her if she <laughs> wanted to come and defend this little kid from that goddamn commie. Yeah, but I think um, she. Uh, they asked her, but she refused to do the job. She'd have pulled a gun on him, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Probably. to defend my freedoms. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a good shout. She probably would. Would have been the most entertaining thing on the show, to be fair. Definitely. Yep. Right, we will move on to uh, match number nine. We're nearly there. It's the Great Mutar versus Lex Luger. Um, And this match is for the number one contendership uh, to face Ric Flair at the Great American Bash. Yeah. Um, Now, this is where I'm getting a bit confused because um, the... The on-screen, you know those on-screen graphics Gossie was telling us about before? They tell us that Muta is the number one contender for the world title, despite the fact that the WCW Top 10 that we showed about 30 minutes ago told us that Lex Luger was in that position. Um, and then Jim Ross tells us that Luger's the number one contender too. 
Um, but Bobby think, Eaton's getting the title shot. And Bobby Eaton's getting the title shot. Um, well, look, guys, look, guys. It's, everyone, it's every, everyone can make mistakes, let's be honest, right? Let's not ride those for making one little one-off lapse, all right? Let's just chill. Al Ugante is the number one contender, and everyone ever otherwise. Ben's mother should be. He's number three, I think. Um, So, uh, yeah, we then see Bill Kazmaier in the audience wearing one of those uh, dodgy, one of those sort of sketched shirts that were around at the time before they. Real number one contender. Yeah, yeah, he he's in. He looks like a roided Tim White as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna unsee that now. Yeah, and and do you know what I'm also thinking when I watch Great Muta is that in this in this age of COVID, surely now Japanese wrestlers blowing green mist at you is taking on an added layer of danger. Yeah, I think that it, I don't want to say it's the finish, but you know. Yeah. Moving, moving on. Um, so um, Lugan no sells a Muta chop and gets a two count with a belly to back suplex. Um, Lugan ho- hoists Muta up for a press slam, but Muta then lands a spinning kick to the jaw of Lugan. He misses a handspring elbow and flies over the turnbuckle to the floor. Muta then goes to blow that mist at Lugan, but Lugan puts his arms up to his face to avoid getting it in his eyes. Uh, Muta then charges at Luger. Luger hits a power bomb, a power bomb, sorry, a power slam, and he gets the win in three minutes and forty-three seconds. So, um, so, so yeah, you uh, you bring Great Muta over for a TV match and have it go less than four minutes. Uh, mental. It, it was. Uh, see, I'm 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 torn because. If the match was longer because Luger's in it, it would not have been any good as it was, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Muta took an incredible bump off that handspring, el- handspring elbow thing. Yes, amazing. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? I actually rewound that, which I hadn't done since Ben was around. Um, here's, a, here's a thought now. Hypothetically, let's say Flair doesn't leave. Where do they go then with it? Do they still put the belt on Lex, do you think? Yeah, because of if you remember the timeline at the time, there was a big thing around it that Luger had choked, quote-unquote, too many times. He had yeah. too many matches, and it was surely going to be the moment where he finally beat Flair. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was... I mean, it's it's not that Flair, obviously, he put plenty of people over. Probably wasn't against losing the belt to Luger per se, but yeah. there were many things that were really rubbing up Flair the wrong way at this point in time, including mm. Jim Hurd's views on his look and this, that and the other. And, and I think also what they had planned for Flair after he dropped the title, like he, 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 he uh, was, they were going to try and pack him off just to be like a bit part player in undercard tag matches or something. So I think the whole thing just left a bad taste in his mouth. But yeah, absolutely. Luke was winning the title because they couldn't go any other way. Uh, when they were without flares, like what do we do now? Oh, yeah, we'll turn him hill. See, I'm I'm watching this match, and in my in my weird world, I've got Flair versus Muta in a cage at Great American Bash. I'd have liked that. That would have been pretty. See, sweet, there though. you go. But they they killed Muta, didn't they? Starcade '89. That was the death knell of Muta in WCW. Yeah, because he lost all the three matches. Every match. But didn't the Samoan SWAT team as well? Yes. Didn't they lose every yeah. match? Um, because I remember Corny talking about this, saying how 
because the Midnight Express weren't in there. And they were like, just put us in there and we'll we'll job the map. We'll, we'll do the job for everyone. But they were like, no, you're not going in there. Just crazy. Just absolutely crazy. But yeah, Muta. Oh, God. Muta could have been really something for them, uh, I, I think. I'm not saying he should have been world champion or anything, but he could have got over as a face. I yeah, really think he could absolutely. have. Absolutely. Because he was he's one of those. Well, first of all, he was different to any of the other Japanese wrestlers that they'd had over previously. They'd, I mean, he had, you know, the, the, the gimmick was stronger than the, was the central point, but then when he wrestled, you know, when the bell rang, he was a phenomenal wrestler. Yeah. And even though, yeah, he was put with, you know, Gary Hart and Terry Funk and, and guys that you wanted to boo, everyone could see the talent in the guy. And he, he was one of those heels that people wanted to cheer and well, I think, yeah, we're waiting for that moment. All you yeah. needed to do was to have him blow Mystic in Gary Hart's face. Great visual there. And he's babyface and he's massively over. Imagine if he if they'd splintered off there with a heel Terry Funk against Muta. Mm. A fair face Muta. You know, they, but I, you know what it is? It's, it's because he's Japanese. Yeah. And in that mindset, especially the mindset of that old lady in the front row, uh, but but no, they're looking at thinking he's Japanese, he can't be a face, and yes. it's it's sad, but that's a mentality that went on a lot longer than 1991 did, unfortunately. Definitely, yeah, and I'm not not saying it's right, but that, yeah, that is that was the that's, mentality. That's you, we are. Yeah, you can't, yeah, they you can't have the American the American fans won't cheer a Japanese guy. Well, yes, they no. will if he's good that good a wrestler. Of course, yeah, yeah. They, they, and they, they, God, this company was just crying out for anything at this point, you know. Um, it, there's there's no way this idea wouldn't have been thrown around by some people just for it to be shut down because there's there's it's dire it really is. But there we go. Yeah, but I, I mean I think as well that Muta was you know, whereas in '89 he was based in the US, in in '91 he was back in Japan and he was wrestling the vast majority of his matches in New Japan as Kenji yeah. Muta. They they'd lost at that point, but yeah. earlier on when they'd had him, you know, eighty nine, ninety, they could have. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if they're going to say, look, we're going to give you a run, a top run as a face, and maybe even put the belt on him, then they could have swapped things around a bit with his dates, but eh, yeah. wasn't to be. Yes. Okay, match number ten is uh, Steve Austin with uh, Lady Blossom, who of course has been a guest on this show, um, versus Joey Mags, perennial WCW preliminary wrestler. Um, we actually go. We go straight into the next match after the break. Both competitors are already in the ring as we have um, had an Austin video package rather than a live entrance. Um, this is going to be another squash match. Um, Austin pretty much lands a stun gun straight away. For some reason, inexplicably, he delays for a moment. Then he pins Mags, and the whole match lasts 25 seconds. And I think the video package. Um, Am I right in saying, Liam, that the video package lasts longer than the match? Not only did it last longer than the match, but it also contained footage. They decided to take some footage for the B-roll uh, of Austin sporting the TV title that hadn't yet aired. Because WCW. Brilliant. There you go. Because the belt so they... is still in, uh, at this point in time, we are about to have, yeah, yeah, we are about to have a main event where the TV champion changes the world champion. Uh, and they go and do that. Silly fuckers. <laughs> Eaton didn't have the TV belt around his waist, though, did he at that on this show? Or did he? Have I... 
I can't remember. You might be I right, don't... but as far as the timeline goes, they have done cocked up there. So they, <laughs> so they have shown Bobby. Sorry, they've shown Steve Austin wearing the TV belt before he's won it. Most people say well, the thing about WCW was is they were a TV company doing wrestling. Well, that is yeah. a TV error. That is a television gaff that would get you fired from TV production. That's not a wrestling gaff. That's a TV gaff. So they can't even fucking do that right. Right. Yeah. Let's, right. So this this show aired live on TBS on June the 14th. 1991. Austin won the belt at a worldwide wrestling taping on June the 3rd. So he'd won it just under two weeks before. But as you quite rightly say, the episode hadn't aired yet. It actually aired on the 29th of June. So, so yeah, we're in, we're in that sweet spot right between the two events and um, they go and do that. This is far too confusing for me. I've switched off. <laughs> well, I'm afraid to say, Gossie, that um, doing time lapsed uh, <laughs> title reigns would be very much a WCW thing. It, it, Apparently, it is, uh, the rule is thing. they have to do a negative title change like once a year. Oh, they did that before, yeah. And yeah. they do it again. So ba- basically, the the match was ta- the match where Austin became TV champion was taped at the beginning of June. But it didn't air on TV till the end of June, and this is the middle of June, and they've they've spoiled the result for us. Yeah, TV balls up that is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's 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 great. It's yeah. Just just um, do an entrance. <laughs> they did yeah. that video package instead of an entrance. Just get him to walk out with one of those robes, get Lady Blossom's boobs juggling about. That will tell you everything you need to know about him. But instead, they spoil a big title change. Oh, WCW. <laughs> the gift that keeps everyone. on giving. And on top of that, there's something else in that package as well, which I couldn't help but notice. And there is nobody in the crowd. They're showing this one, literally, there's row upon row upon row upon row of empty seats. And why are they putting that on television? Why would you show that willingly? Um, Hold on a minute. I've got the answer on my card here. Um, Apparently, the answer is because WCW. There you go. Yes. You know how how TNA did that thing where they did lockdown and every match was a cage match? WCW started it. They did every match that was an empty arena match. It was popularised, especially in the early 90s and in uh, 99, 2000, 2001. They would have loved it around now with the COVID era. They would have been in there. Oh, man. They would have had an excuse. (laughs) WCW were never really... um, Thinking much about like the 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 atmosphere or the the effect, the impression they were creating with their videos. Because when we looked a couple of uh, of weeks ago, we looked at um, the two cold Scorpio character intro, intro video um, of him like doing some like urban dancing with with some kids from school, and um, and they decided that they were going to film it in in the middle of winter in on a, an overcast day with loads of puddles on the floor of a playground rather than like waiting until they're on a loop in Florida or something. It's climate no, change. That, yeah, that, that was part of it though, wasn't it? There was supposed to be like this gritty urban 
street thing, wasn't it? Where where they're not at school and that. I think that was part. That was a deliberate part of it. The problem was is they were massively portraying like a, a horrible stereotype. To me, but it was I think just it a was... man dancing in puddles with children. Well, also known as a typical Friday. Oh, fair enough. I, I, <laughs> I can't let that go without mentioning it. In that music video, it all starts, da 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 and then this lady in the background with kids just all of a sudden screams out, look out, here comes Tuchel Scorpio. <laughs> and it is literally one of my favourite things. In, but it's probably my top five favourite things in wrestling ever. And she it's did just it, the randomness. She did it just like the lady in his theme song does it, which is uncanny. It is weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's strange, like, what are the chances? I wish they'd have the old lady do it instead. Um, this in front, in the front row here. I think the old lady has got to be uh, the photo for this episode. She would not have agreed to have done a two cold Scorpio video. Don't ask me why. I just get this feeling she wouldn't have just been on board. Just this feeling. Yeah. Would you uh, be in a PN News video? <laughs> we then see a promo video for another newcomer who did nothing in WCW. The batshit crazy looking masked black blood, who was the batshit crazy Billy Jack Haynes. No, Billy Jerk Haynes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bobby Heenan. Still um, real to me, damn it. It's still real, yeah. <laughs> Next, we have another non wrestling segment as Alexandra York introduces the latest member of the York Foundation. And spoilers alert, we've already realised who could possibly be it's Ricky Morton, now Richard Morton, looking resplendent, rocking a suit and mullet combo. Um, Robert Gibson comes to the ring to ask him what's going on. So obviously Morton attacks him and pile drives his former partner. Right. What the hell was uh, Robert Gibson wearing as well? Oh my God. He looked like a tramp. <laughs> and to think that'd be the only time that he'd wear this suit as part of the York Foundation thing. Because for all of the matches, he'd just go back to wearing the same old fucking Rock and Roll Express tights. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He should have just—I don't know—maybe just wore this suit to wrestle. Would have been better than just coming out there. Yeah. Or heaven forbid, invested a new pair of tights. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. No, of course not. Uh, right. Um, I tell a lie. By the way, it's eleven matches. There was a twelfth match, but that was a dark match, so it doesn't count. Um, it's it does. Now I want to know what it was. Uh, I can tell you that it was um, Ricky Nelson beating El Cubano whoever he may be. And that apparently okay. lasted six minutes. So that oh was like the most of the matches on the show. Um, the second half of this show, I can tell you. Yeah. So it's a two out of three falls match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Bobby Eaton versus the champion Ric Flair. The WWE Network have only gone and edited both wrestlers' entrance music like the absolute bastards that they are. Um, now, I don't know if you know this one, but legend has it that Flair specifically requested to have Eaton as his opponent for this one. Yes, I believe so. And a few times this had happened because they were looking to prove that they could consistently get ratings with good wrestlers in this era. And so I actually went back and did a little bit of research, which shocked right. even me. So Clash 14 got a 3.9, and that was headlined with Flair versus Scott Steiner. Right. So Clash 15 with Flair and Eaton also got a 3.9. So it stayed consistent, which showed that there wasn't a huge problem. It's not like it dropped to a three or something with Eaton there. Now, the next, good God, Clash 16 did drop a bit to 3.7, but the main event of that was Arn and Larry Zavisco 
against Rick Steiner and Bill Kazamazov, whatever his name. There you go. Easy for you to say. And because obviously, as you said, Scott was out injured. But that was three minutes and 33 seconds. That was the main event. Blimey. So, yeah, a bit of a drop down because obviously, like, what, we haven't got Flair anymore. No idea what to do. We haven't got Scott Stein or anything. Let's put Bill Kazmaier in the main event, which would have been my immediate thoughts as well. I would have put Johnny B. Bad, PN News in the main event on a scaffold match. <laughs> I was going to say I'd pay to see that, but I probably wouldn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, the match starts with each man trying to outwit the other, which ends with Flair getting clotheslined over the top rope. Um, Flair's doing a great job of making Eaton appear to be his equal and appear to be a, a valid threat to the title, which, of course, is it, something that Flair was great at doing. It's something Flair was used to doing as the um, as like the touring the touring world champion back in the day, I suppose. Um, Flair's chops land, but Eaton bounces back and clamps on a short arm scissors on the canvas. Flair eventually gets to the ropes. He goes to the floor. Eaton follows him, and then Flair catches him with a boot to the face as he gets back into the ring. Eaton then gets thrown into the turnbuckle. His head hits the connecting steel. Flair is in control, um, landing a butterfly suplex and getting a, a two count with his feet on the ropes. Um, in, in what may surprise you, the momentum of the match shifts when Eaton intercepts Flair on the top rope and slams him to the floor. Um, now Eaton's in control of the match, lands his trademark swinging deck breaker. He slams Flair, goes up top, lands that amazing Alabama jam top rope leg drop to win the first fall. Um, and that is in nine minutes, 45. And, um, What's uh, what I found funny as well, I don't know if you noticed this, but the WWE Network have forgotten to edit Eaton's original entrance music out of the broadcast because they play it just under the under the action during the replay of Eaton's winning fall. Um, Eaton starts off the second session on the front foot. He's getting several close two counts. He tries to win 2-0. But to me, and, and I'm sure we'll cover this when we, we go to you guys, but to me, the crowd don't seem to be completely invested in it is in that the, the, they're enjoying the match but they're not buying Eaton as a serious threat to the title despite Flair's best efforts um, Eaton goes up top Flair shakes the ropes Eaton falls to the floor landing from from the floor landing um, sorry falls from the top rope to the floor landing on his knee and he's unable to get back into the ring and Flair therefore wins the second fall by count out in 11 minutes 42 seconds um and with Eaton's knee injured, you know the writing's on the wall. The commentators speculate that Eaton might not be able to continue, but Flair comes out to the floor to meet him. Um, they get back into the ring. Eaton lands a superplex for a two count, but again, the crowd aren't buying it. Flair then hits his patented knee drop or knee breaker move, I should say, clamps on the figure four using the ropes for leverage. He gets caught by the referee. Flair goes for it again, but Eaton catches him with a small package for a two count. Flair then locks on the figure four again in the centre of the ring, uses the rope for leverage again, but this time Eaton gets counted with his shoulders down on the mat. Flair wins two falls to one in 14 minutes, 26 seconds to retain the title. Uh, Jim Ross says, as things stand right now, which is quite prophetic, Flair will face Luger for the world title at the Great American Bash. Um, Gossie, what do you think of this main event? Eaton v Flair. I, I I loved it, but I just, you know, you get angry thinking this could have had half hour. 
and they could have cut rid of got rid of so much of the crap. You know, it it really oh, it was frustrating to me because there's so much more we could have had out of this. But it was a great match of the night for me, without question. Um, I love the the hip toss into the short arm scissors and the roll through that Bobby was doing while keeping on that short arm mm. scissors rolling flare around. Uh, the the psychology, the storytelling of Flair knocking him off the top rope, not even knocking him off the top rope, but Flair just sort of exhaustedly fell onto the top rope, yeah. fell uh, hit in the top rope. Sorry, so it wasn't as if you know Flair just managed. Again, that's the genius of this. So Eaton goes down, the knee's injured. Flair can't beat him the second time. He only loses by countout, and when he does beat him, it's by cheating. So it 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 makes Bobby look strong. Coming out of this, you do wonder why they didn't try and do more with Bobby because he would just flounder. I mean, uh, you've got the confusion of the TV title, but as you say, he's, for all intents and purposes, not the champion at this point, even though he is. Um, And then he just flounder, really, into the Dangerous Alliance. It was just nothing they were doing with him. And I, I get it. He's not the most charismatic. He wasn't the greatest talker in the world. But in that ring... There's very, very few better, especially when they knew they were losing Flair. I, I'm not saying put him in the main event. I'm not saying anything like that, but do something with him because there's, there's really nothing. But overall, a fantastic match. Really glad to be watching this cause in, in line of what's happened. And I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And, and bear in mind to me, as you say, they didn't know what to do with him. The, the, the Great American Bash pay-per-view the next month, he was in a scaffold, capture the flag scaffold match, yeah. teaming with PN News against Steve Austin and Terrence Taylor. And um, it was capture the flag because no one wanted to take the bump off the scaffold. And why should they for a match that hadn't had any build-up? But yeah, he was, as you say, he was just, yeah, that, that's just a, a random tag match, basically. Uh, yeah, just just hideous that that match is, and oh god! But as you say, he takes a bump up there, he takes a backdrop up there. But I remember PNU was just being terrified, not moving. I think he just holds onto the railing the entire match. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then, comes out and tries to do a stomp, and then goes. And I don't blame him. I'd be the same up there as well. Oh god, that'd be uh, awful. Yeah, he, uh, t- terrifying, awful matches. Isn't it? Earth they exist. Going back to what you said earlier, though, about the crowd not being massively into it. This is a this is a massive problem in modern wrestling. The moment someone starts to get a bit of momentum, they immediately throw them into the main event uh, instead of actually building them up so they seem like a main eventer. You know, like the Jinder Mahal thing, for example, where they just stuck him up there. Happens a lot, but back then you've got this confusion as well of this bloody number one contender thing that yeah. they never stop going on about. So. You, Bobby Eaton's not named as the number one contender at any point during this show. He just happens to be in this match for some reason. Well, if it's Luger or it's whoever the hell it is, so you've got that where they're not making a point. They're not making a big deal of Bobby Eaton being the number one contender and how he's deserving of this. They're too busy going on about bloody Luger all the time. So already at this point, he's an afterthought. Um, I I think that hurts. And also, again, when I said about rushing it through, it's like. Cornette and Stan Lane leave, the Midnight Express are no more, and they just shoot him straight into this, which, let's be honest, he wasn't ready for this at the moment. Well, physically, obviously, from a worker's point of view, he was, yeah. but in the fans' eyes, he's not a main eventer. No, so, no, there definitely. you go. There's, there's my soliloquy for the night. <laughs> but, 
Well, uh, you know, as we said, is one of his one of his few times that he's you know as a singles wrestler in a main event, and and the the match itself was tremendous given yeah. the, the constraints they were working in. I was just great. I mean, the, as I say, the only issue, minor things I had is just the frustration of how they're presenting it, because this could have been so much better, and the length of time it could have had, considering yeah. there's so much utter drivel on this show, apart from Ben. And I mean, I think that that's the 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 key to the, to this this whole whole show. Before b- before we look at the, the show as a whole, um, I'll go over to you, Liam, because you know we we we've dedicated this whole episode to the the memory of Bobby Eaton, and here we have this this main event. What are your thoughts? Do you want to add on this one? Well, it reminds me very much of some of the happier memories of the uh, of the Nitro watchalongs, where some of the underrated moments have come, where you've had these. Uh, uh, very unorthodox pairings of wrestlers. As we said, it's, it's a bit out of left field that, that Bobby Eaton's changing for the world title. But uh, just like how we've got a kick out of things like Eddie Guerrero and the Barbarian, Dean Malenko versus Sting, there's certain matches you really want to see. And I suppose you look at it one way, is, um, WCW at this point didn't have that flagship show like Nitro became. They had yeah. their television specials. You know, in the Nitro era, the clashes became obsolete and then died off. Whereas yeah. in this case, the, the clashes were this. So I suppose in their minds, it was it was as good a time to do it. They're not going to main event a pay-per-view, but they they want to, you know, this, this is the umpteenth time that Ric Flair has, has been on top as champion. They hoped that Sting would carry them for years and years. But in that first title reign, he didn't. He just didn't click as like the guy to carry the company's shoulders. So back to Flair they went, and that's why we got the Scott Steiner defenses and the Bobby Eaton defenses, because they had to change it up a bit before eventually trying to to correct the mistake they repeated over and over again with Lex Luger, and finally mint him in the way they never could before. So that's just kind of what they do. This this Ric Flair title reign was very much a holding pattern. So I don't blame him for wanting to go out there and say, right, give me a match with Eaton then. Mm. Give me a match here. He's well reported. He had a very high opinion of Scott Steiner before Steiner was willing to break up the tag team. Uh, so he was like, give me Scott Steiner. He's, he's a, this was, this was uh, Ric Flair calling his shots. And it's a big testament to things like the upside of Scott Steiner and just the quality of Bobby Eaton overall and how highly he was regarded by the rest of the roster. The Ric Flair will go, right, you, you want to give me another title reign? You want me to try and do things differently. Give me that guy. I'll, I'll make some magic. And yeah, yeah. for, for what, what they had to work with, it was very, very fun. It felt rushed, but that's because they rushed them. Yeah, everything on this was, was rushed. Yeah. And I suppose that, that's a, a nice segue to just talk about the the show as a as a whole. And I mean, I think you touched on it earlier, Gossie, that, that yeah, they could have had half the number of matches cut some of the segments and we'd have had a much, much more enjoyable show. Yeah. Not just for the main event, more things could have been given, uh, you know, other matches could have been given more time. Like the, the Pillman one, for example, you know, that was ridiculously short. I mean, obviously, you know, and they could have had somebody there apart from bloody Ali Gante, but I get it. They're trying with him. They wanted him to be their Andre and that's not going to work for a million reasons, which we don't need to go into now. Um, but it's, it's, it's so much on there, you know. Again, you get to a point where everything is just rushing through. Like Steve Austin comes out, hits his finisher, and wins. It's like, well, 
what what is the point of any of this? Why are you putting that package on before of him when you you've got this and the bad blood, black blood, whatever his name is, doesn't even appear on the show? What the hell's going on? It's it's crazy. It it really is. It's it's a mess. It's 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 1991 WCW. This show. Yeah, and as we've established, they didn't know what to do with things with no. people. Or with, even at with this things. point, we, Flair hadn't even left yet, and they're still. They've no real direction. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, we want to do that with Luger, but who's going to be his opponents? What are they going to do? You know, there's there's no heels now, really. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of loose cracks there. They go, and I mean, ultimately, they end up turning Luger heel. But I don't know if they would have done that if Flair had left. True. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, yeah, we we go into the uh, the Great American Bash '91 with a pay per view where crowd chant "We want Flair" throughout the entire main event. Oh, I'd be chanting "We want euthanasia" if I was in that crowd <laughs> watching that. Jesus wept. But um, yeah, I think you know had had we had we had, I mean those those last three matches, um, you know, Eaton for not not Austin and Max, but yeah, Eaton v Flair, Luger v Sting, um, Steiner's against Hase and Shono, those three is the sort of the feature match, and the loser leaves town, as you say, you know, the the, the name value, and, and Sting, you got Sting Koloff as well, you know, just those matches and on. On the card, and given given the right amount of time, this could have been such a different show. And the Ben thing, obviously, and, and obviously the, the Ben thing. The, oh, and Jason Hervey getting hit with the gimmick phone guitar. But the rest of it is just filler, you know. I, I yeah. do get the Hervey thing because he was a name, and they're trying to do something. So yeah, I, I put him back on there as well with Paulie, because uh, that ended up being the main event of Great American Bash, didn't it? That match. Yeah, it was the last match. It was the last match. Jesus. Yeah. No idea. I, mean, I suppose they wanted to leave the fans happy or something. I don't know. It's not going to happen on that bloody show. No. Um, start giving them, not even their money back, just like hundreds of thousands of dollars compensation, I suppose. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm not a fan of that show, as you may guess. But... Uh, yeah, I got that, got that feeling, yeah. Um, <laughs> Liam, what were your thoughts overall? I mean, yeah, as, as we say about the Nitros, this went along at a pace and there were just enough good matches for this to be something you could stick on via the WWE Network, which we've done here, and you'd probably not regret watching it. I've got to be brutally honest. Uh, there's some things, uh, if we look in the grand scheme of things, they're absolutely mind-boggling. But if you're just going to stick on a bit of nostalgic background noise... It's, it's not going to do you wrong, especially because of the pace of it and the, uh, yeah. the the diversity of the content is not to be sniffed at either. But yeah, you, if, if you do happen to to lean a little closer to the television and pay a little bit more attention, you'll see some really, really big cracks for sure. And obviously those cracks turned into an all-out fissure at the Great American Bash. Yes. Marvellous. Right, we will leave things there. Darren Goss... The uh, Discovery, I forgot the name of the company, Darren Goss, Discovery Wrestling Commentator. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on this show. Now, before you go, tell people who are still listening at this point, well done if they are. Um, the dog. The dog, oh, yeah. Tell tell the dog where it can uh, where it can reach you on the, on social media and where it can find Discovery Wrestling. Uh, we're on Twitter, Disco Wrestling. 
and uh, that's the best place. And then just on Facebook, Discovery Rest, and search for that. If you are in the area, tickets are on sale now. We're at the Edinburgh Corn Exchange, shockingly in Edinburgh, um, which is on October seventeenth on a Sunday. Is there corn? And then there, there, there is. There will be corn. Does available. it get exchanged? Yeah. I, I it, it will, but that's what it used to be. See, it used to be a marketplace. And they should have a popcorn there stand. Go. There you go. You get, you get some cop popcorn in exchange for money. Yes, and this candy is what corn. We're for. And yeah, corn we're not going to bother. Yeah, we're not going to bother charging people for the shows. We're just going to, you know, just bring your own corn. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> bring your own corn and come to the corn exchange. Tickets are on sale there. You can get them through the Discovery Wrestling website, discoverywrestling.com. And then we'll be back again November 28th for the anniversary show, which is also a Sunday. So there we go. If you can, if you're in that area, if that dog lives in Scotland and he's got some corn, come along. And I've I've been to a couple of uh, Discovery shows when I've been up in Edinburgh and they are well worth going out of your way for. They're tremendous shows. Um, we are uh, on Twitter at BecauseWCW uh, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash because WCW and um, of course you can listen to this and the 98 other shows we've already done at because WCW.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast from and uh, we don't want to say uh, too much we don't want to jinx it with a but with a bit of luck Liam we're going to get ourselves a special guest for episode 100 we're going to try. It'd be rude not to. This has been a lot of fun over the last four years. And we're going to, don't want that to sound like we're going to stop. We're going to keep doing it as much as we can. We're admittedly in a, a, a silver age of podcasting now, after that golden <laughs> age of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, credit to whoever I shamelessly ripped off Twitter for that. Um, but yeah, we, we, we wanted to do something special as a thank you to you guys for sticking around for 100 episodes. So as long as it comes off. Uh, you'll be surprised. Yeah. Uh, we could tell them that it's Ric Flair, so that when it isn't, that they can just chant, we want Flair throughout the whole They'll thing. They'll chant, we want Flair anyway. Fair enough then. Right, um, Gossy, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. And we will see you for episode 100 very soon. Thank you so much for taking the time and trouble to download this episode. On behalf of Liam Hatt, this is me, the Twisted Genius, saying thanks for listening. I'll see you ringside.